country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. In the two years of this pandemic so far, Indonesia has recorded over five and a half million cases of COVID-19 and over 148,000 deaths. These are official figures, assumed by epidemiologists, to be less than the true cost. In July and August 2021, as the deadly Delta wave swept across the country, hospitals were overwhelmed and graveyards struggled to keep up with the demand. Since this wave, Indonesia's vaccination program has accelerated with over 50% of the total population, an incredible 144 million people now double-dosed, and almost 70% with at least one dose of vaccine. In the past few weeks, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 has forced case numbers to climb again, reaching daily numbers that are even higher than those during the Delta peak. But what is happening in Indonesia's hospitals this time around? Are vaccinations doing what they should? And what are the legacies of the Delta wave on the health system and the people of Indonesia themselves? My guest today is epidemiologist Dr. Diki Budiman from Griffith University. Hello, Diki. Great to have you back. Thanks for being here. Hi, Gemma. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, when we spoke in June last year, the Delta wave was about to hit Indonesia with its full force. And your predictions at that time were unfortunately largely yes. borne out. It was an incredibly devastating outbreak in Indonesia. Can you talk us through a little bit of the extent of the outbreak of the Delta wave and particularly about how Indonesia's health care and public health system coped at that time? Yeah, as I predicted, the Delta wave, or we call it the second wave of Indonesian pandemic curve, it was uh, really happening as I predicted. And actually, I already remind the government about that potency since the early of 2021, because the sign is very clear for me as the epidemiologist. And also because I was in government of Indonesia, especially Ministry of Health, for almost two decades. So Indonesia didn't pass this second wave well because our health system actually in collapse. Even at that time, the government denied this situation. But the collapse meaning from my perspective as the public health expert, it's because there's the function and the structure. The structure, of course, there's no collapse. The hospital still there, the medical doctor still there, but the function collapse because the the hospital cannot serve the community. And I still remember in East Java, even some in Central Java, many patients in emergency room didn't got served, and then. Many of them die because of this situation. And that's just some examples of this uh, collapse in terms of function of the health infrastructure. And that's not, you know, mentioning that Indonesian behavior is not 
easier to go to the healthcare facilities when they sick. When they were sick, they stay at home. So that's why we found many uh, mortality uh, cases among the community during the self-isolation, during, during this uh, second wave of the Delta variant. And actually, I can say, yes, the government had uh, successfully prevent the worst scenario. But I also can say, actually, the government not really success dealing with the second wave. Because as I already say during that the Delta variant to the media and to the government, that we miss many cases. At that time, I mentioned that maybe even in one day or in maybe in every two days, we miss like maybe almost 500,000 cases. Of course, government didn't agree with me. But then, you know, early of 2022, the government released the zero survey result, which show us that my prediction was right because almost 86% of the total population in Indonesia get antibody from the COVID-19. At that time, around 40% of them uh, still not got the vaccination. So it's mean they got from infection. 40% of Indonesia is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So that's just to give uh, us also how huge uh, impact of this Delta variant. And of course, as the developing country, our mortality reporting system is still weak. And also the, of course, then the, the, the detection cases. So it's mean maybe we need, for, you know, maybe one or two years uh, ahead to find the real number of the our mortality. But for sure, it's higher than, than what the government report. There's currently, I think, the WHO number is around 5.2 million cases recorded in Indonesia. But as you're saying, if it's, you know, 86% antibodies, we know that that's huge numbers. Just talking about the collapse of the hospital system, but the entire public health care system, really, during that period, you mentioned people dying, waiting in hospital rooms or at home. We also know that healthcare workers were really hard hit, particularly in those hotspots in Java. And so many died and many were very, very unwell. And so I'm just thinking about how the system has been able to recover in the months since then. What have you observed there? Yeah, yeah. The, the good thing from the government, they uh, directly changed their strategy in terms of protect the healthcare workers by giving them the third dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. And the good thing also about this third dose is uh, they gave the Pfizer and Moderna, which is we know has high efficacy in terms of protection and efficacy in terms of immunity to these uh, healthcare workers. And as we know also during the second wave, many healthcare workers died at the, the, the time, even e- less than one month or almost 200 person, uh, I mean, healthcare worker died. Uh, and not mentioning, we know this is uh, still underreported, but it's huge number and huge number. And, you know, now we can see the effectivity or the impact of this uh, change of strategy, the protection, more PPE to the healthcare worker. Also, 
I see more strengthening, uh, many hospitals strengthen their, we call it the infection control in hospital. And also the government support how they can develop more safety, air circulation. Many things, it seems like small, but it's very important because this is airborne disease. And I, I still remember I, I was invited by this hospital association and, and I told them that they need to change and revise and review their the building structure because, you know, Indonesia is very diverse. Many uh, government uh, or public hospital, sometimes it's in different uh, quality. And the good thing about this pandemic is this also required not only central government, but also the district government to review their healthcare facility. Then we saw the number of healthcare worker infected is also decreasing after this the third dose of the vaccine and more PPE uh, delivered to them. I saw also the sorry, an incentive is also uh, given by the government because incentive is very important because they, they also human, they need this incentive. They work hard. Then now during the, I mean, Omicron, I can see it's very big difference because even now the government started to think about to giving their health worker the fourth dose of Pfizer. I think that's a good thing, not for the general population, but for this very important position of the community services. I think that's, that's a good idea and important. Yeah, so that's great that much has been learnt from the Delta wave and improvements have been made in readiness for what has eventually uh, come to Indonesia, which was inevitable, which was the Omicron wave. A little bit after Australia, for example, I mean, this is a question for you. Are we seeing a peak in the number of cases, which, you know, is actually a higher daily case number than we had for Delta? um, uh, Before I answer this, uh, I still remember uh, just after the Delta wave uh, flattening, after, I mean, they they uh, reached the peak and on September, I remind the government that Indonesia still will face the third wave because many, even many epidemiologists in Indonesia didn't, didn't agree with me, but that's very basic understanding of concept of epidemiology yeah? because as long as a significant number of population is prone or vulnerable because they didn't get the vaccine or their immunity wane so that's then it's that's still a probability we will have another uh, wave yeah and there was such a large amount of the virus circulating yes. as well even when it yes, plateaued exactly and and well, the reason why i also raised this alarm because we have to prepare during the peace time i urge the and advise the many uh, level of government to review their health system because during the Delta wave, we saw many of them collapse and we saw the medical device not available for many districts and also even the essential part like oxygen is not enough. And that's why 
we need to fix this, uh, strengthen the availability of uh, the uh, medical device and also essential medical uh, device and also medicine. And many of the district government improved this during the Omicron. I can see many of them more confidence when they face the third wave. But of course, overconfidence is very dangerous <laughs> because uh, in, let's say, one district already strengthened their healthcare facility. But Indonesia population is very huge. And, and again, if you show the proportion between the medical doctor, nurse, the bed capacity compared to the population, the proportion is still below the WHO recommendation. And that's, that's put Indonesia in very prone situation when the uh, surge case of this Omicron happened. We got the benefit from the vaccine now during the Omicron because the number of population who covered by the vaccine now uh, reached to almost 70%, the second dose. Of course, then we know this not only Pfizer but Sinovac at least reducing the probability for Indonesian to got the severity, hospitality and also the fatality. And that's that at least reduce our burden. Yeah, but the problem yeah. is we still have limited capacity in early detection because the testing capacity is still below the adequate recommendation from WHO. As we know, the adequate testing capacity should be like 4% per 1,000 population per one week. If we look at the district level, it will be low far below 1% per 1,000 population. And also the tracing capacity. We know the WHO recommendation is 30 people for one confirmed case, but no region, no district, no province in Indonesia reached even half of the, of 30. I mean, this put mm. also our effort to reduce or prevent the or cut the transmission is not adequate or strong intervention. Mm -mm. Contact tracing is an interesting one. I think, you know, you've you said before, it's not something that Indonesia did very well in earlier waves. It's something that in other countries, including Australia, they did very well, but now it's not really yeah. on the table. So what argument can you make in Indonesia if countries like Australia have given up the tracing you aspect? Know, in Indonesia context, the capacity to do first about testing, of course, of course it's, uh, it's require strong financial support. And that's a big obstacle for, for many provinces and districts in Indonesia, especially during this third, I mean, we entered the third year of this pandemic. The financial situation in many districts and provincial is uh, in very, you know, critical situation. Also, the problem with the testing is about the also the laboratory capacity and also is the exhausted of our healthcare workers. Because during this Omicron, I mean, many people now also try to get this uh, testing because the price is now is reducing compared to before. 
But then many healthcare workers also got infected and they have to isolate. <laughs> and this is a problem. Right. What is the demand on hospitals right now with Omicron? I think I read somewhere that at least in one hospital, maybe it was in Jakarta, there are around 60%. But what is the rate at the moment? Yeah, the, the government's uh, officially released the data that the bed occupancy rate is still below 50% or even below 40%. But again, I should remind us, especially the government officer and also uh, many stakeholders, that Indonesian is not easy to go to hospital when they feel this is mild. But from the field, I mean, from many specialists, Many severe patients, in terms of, you know, severe condition of patient came to the private practice and also hospital or clinic during the last seven days. And seems that we will see more cases. And again, I don't know. I have, I have to really know what is the situation on the ground because Indonesia is like, you know, easy to impacted by stigmatism, you know, is easy to, uh, you know, they really didn't want or doesn't want to uh, go to hospital and die in hospital. They really want to treat in their home. And that's why I have to wait and see more data about this. And So you're quite skeptical about those hospitalization numbers as an indicator of how many people are sick. But I guess, you know, the ultimate indicator, isn't it, is deaths. And if we're seeing a rise in deaths that would otherwise yeah. not be there. And so far in Indonesia, what are you seeing? Now it's, the trend is increasing for the death. And of course, we have to also remember that Indonesia reporting system of the mortality or death is still categorized as not adequate. So especially during this pandemic, because, you know, when you look at to the field on the ground, the people who do the report is still the same person for many reports. You can imagine how big the gap, the lag time of this many reporting system. So, uh, of course, then this, let's say, even now is 200-something death uh, case uh, for Indonesia, and, and that's a trend increasing. But that came from the big city like Jakarta, Bodetabek, or Surabaya, or Bandung, who, you know, that's, their reporting system is much, much better than the other district. But it doesn't mean the date case is only happened in this urban area. I can say maybe bigger than rural area. And that's the problem in yeah. So we've talked about where you see the weaknesses in the system at the moment. And we've also talked about how vaccination has been making a difference with the Omicron wave. And it's around about 70% of the population over 12. But who is missing out then? I can say this is a huge improvement. I, I should appreciate this to the government about this vaccination because, you know, Indonesia is huge population and we have many islands. Gemma. And I was in government and I can feel and I had this experience when I came to the deep, deep 
village in Papua in Kalimantan during the TB malaria program HIV. I brought the medicine and when I came, no one there in village because the people on the village went to the forest. I have to wait like maybe three, four and five days. And if I came back to, let's say, to uh, Jakarta or Java, it took, you know, many, many weeks again to come there. So that's... Yeah, logistical nightmare, really. Yeah, logistical, geographical transportation. We saw this huge improvement of this vaccination. But then we still see the elderly, the comorbidity of the, we know they are very vulnerable, especially out of Java and Bali. Many districts and provinces still not get their target yet. Some of them still below 50% of the total coverage of this vulnerable population in terms of two doses, even not, not about three doses, but the two doses. So that's very dangerous, especially during this Omicron. Mm, yeah, because the third dose number is tiny, isn't it? Yeah, less than 5%, the third dose. And then still that one is in Java and I mean in big city. So till we have a, a very vulnerable situation, especially for these elderly, not mentioning out of Java, but even within Java, they are still vulnerable because still less than 5% is very low. Right, indeed. So, okay, we're talking about very high levels of infection across Indonesia. Earlier, you know, I was reading about cases of people having their third infection with COVID. And I'm sure you know of others, there's reinfection occurring through the community, which obviously must include people who are vaccinated, that 70%. And you indicated the high antibody levels that have been detected. So what does this mean? Does this mean that Indonesia is going to hit this term herd immunity. Are we talking about that? Are we talking about the virus becoming endemic sooner, perhaps, than in more protected communities like Australia yeah, has been? Uh, for sure, I think even the threshold of herd immunity is still far, far away for Indonesia. And even we know that at least more than half of Indonesian population got the antibody for COVID. But we know based on the research uh, that these immunities wane either from infection and also from vaccination. So Indonesia also is still in very vulnerable position. And I have to say this and because the majority of Indonesian got the Sinovac and we know compared to messenger RNA, the Sinovac, less effective in terms of the protection, not about the severity and mortality, but in terms of preventing transmission and preventing from infected. And of course, in terms of protecting from the severity and also mortality, we got this from Sinovac and I, I can see this one. But and now we saw that the spread of the disease is it's easy compared to a messenger RNA. They they are you know less effective, not zero, but less effective in terms of this protection from the transmission. That's I think one of the reasonable explanation why the infection in Indonesia I think is very very high. 
And I mean, that's why it's, it, as you pointed out, it's a really good thing that the healthcare workers have been given the third and now maybe the fourth because they were the earliest ones to get the vaccinations, weren't they, back in early 2021 and they were yeah. Sinovac. So, yeah, this, this yeah, waning yeah. issue. And, and that's why, again, I always remind the government and any, including community and people, that we cannot rely on only vaccination. We have to also strengthen our public health intervention. So what are your observations about the government's messaging? There's been recent restrictions reimposed in Jakarta and and other places where the Omicron was rising. Do you think people are changing behaviour in a way that will be lasting? I, um, I can say during the wave, every wave, I mean, Alpha, Delta and now Omicron, they are obedient. I mean, they are, their behavior is more complied to this 5M or the health protocols during this week. But then when the government say, okay, we just passed the peak, oh, they will change directly. And that's dangerous. So I still see the weak point of the risk communication strategy from the government in every level and sector. Back in June 2021, we discussed this question of were the politicians or the policymakers listening to the science? Where does it sit currently, do you think, you know, on the balance of things? Now, during the peak, I mean, when we're approaching the peak, I can see the government really concerned and listen to the science. And But, you know, as you mentioned also before, even when I remind them, we are approaching the third wave of Omicron. Still, some of them say, no, no, this is not the third wave. <laughs> so I, I have to say, during the pandemic, sometimes I will focus only to the government and also people, community. But we also forgot that the media, the academic, the, you know, the scientists also can change during this pandemic. They also have this fatigue. They, they, they have this exhausted or maybe they have, I don't know, changing in their mind. So this third year of pandemic show us this situation, not only in Indonesia, but many countries. I think this is something that's interesting to look at in terms of you know, scientific perspective, what, what happened. The WHO keep having to kind of remind countries, don't they, that this is not over, there can be more variants, Omicron is not milder, etc. Now we saw also in many countries in Europe, they change their policy, like let it trip. You know, this is something that changed because, I don't know, maybe political, economical, and, and that's very challenging for me because we have to keep find very strong argument to explain why that's dangerous. But that's not easy because, of course, they also have their argument. At least I am happy that the WHO and many world scientists or world researchers are still consistent. Indeed. So, Dickie, wondering if there's some little note of hopefulness that we can finish up on. As you've mentioned, there have been lessons learned from Delta. And I was just reading recently, the Ministry of Health was listing all of the things, as you've already noted, that has been done and getting ready for this current surge. They've got more medicines, hopefully more oxygen. 
potentially more beds, those kinds of things. I saw that Singapore recently sent some supplies as well. So they've been reaching out. So are you feeling that Indonesia is in a fairly good position currently? Yeah, I strongly optimistic about uh, up to now. We are on track. We are on track to reach the end of the pandemic by controlling COVID-19. Of course, there's some up and down, but at least one thing that I have to mention of because my PhD research also about the risk communication and leadership. President Jokowi leadership in during this pandemic is uh, still can send the uh, you know strong message to keep any policy, any activities based on science. Even I know he's not the person who really actively saying about COVID-19 compared to other leaders, I mean the world leader. But once he say something about COVID, it's correct and strongly send a message to any stakeholders about what we have to do. This is a good thing of him. But down of him, uh, we have several ministers. I can show that sometimes there are contradictions among them. But at least the progress now, even the, the senior official currently say about the responding the situation in Europe, he stated clearly that Indonesia will follow the science. That's a very good sign and uh, make me happy. And that's why I, I still have uh, optimistic about this. And on the ground, the, our healthcare workers, the community also have similar spirit and they know if they, I mean, they lose about the 5M health protocol, they will see some spike of the case. And they know this and they started to change the way they live now. And I think mm. this again is about the changing the behavior and it will take a time, but at least consistent message there consistent also support there and also the guidance from the government still is there. Yeah, the point you make about Jokowi, I saw that he has also made statements recognising the fact that the pandemic has exposed the weaknesses in Indonesia's healthcare system, which you have known about, which many, many people have known about for decades now, but it is front and centre and so it's something that he's looking to improving for the last two years of his presidency. So we will watch that space and hope for that. Thank you so much, Dickie, for being with us again and for all of your expert knowledge. Thank you. No worries, Jimmy. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Dickie Budiman, a medical doctor, epidemiologist and advisor to governments and international organisations for more than 20 years. Dickie is currently completing his PhD at Griffith University on global health security, risk communication, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Talking Indonesia will return on the 17th of March, hosted by Dave McRae. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode, or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.